Welcome to ABA Ultimate Showdown, a podcast promoting constructive, respectful, and professional discourse to advance the field of behavior analysis. We are so excited to be able to bring you round two of the showdown. Our second topic will be centered around when to include parents in the intervention of a behavior plan. We want to make it clear that while we are not experts on the specific topics we discuss, we consider ourselves lifelong learners always looking to gain more knowledge. During this debate, we will construct arguments for both sides to present the audience with a comprehensive and balanced view of two sides of a controversial topic. While researching round two, Ashley and Megan have worked together to research relevant articles. Each source is cited in the show notes found at grandbehaviorservices.com slash showdown. Today, we will include a coin toss to determine speaking order. Each debater will have equal structured speaking time and will have an opportunity to ask and respond to questions. If you're interested in learning more about the debate format we use, you can check out our show notes or listen to our podcast's introductory episode. We want to emphasize our most important modification to traditional debate formats. There is no winner and there is no loser. Our intention is to present a different point of view of a controversial topic that you may not have previously considered. We're aiming to disseminate the science in a constructive way by sharing knowledge and respect. The motion for this episode will be, it is in the client's best interest for behavior analysts to include parents as active participants in implementing the behavior plan from the beginning. This debate will assume that parents should be included in the implementation of any behavior plan, but we'll look at the optimal time for that to happen. Ashley Callahan will present the pro side of the debate. Without caregiver input and follow through, the behavior plan won't work outside of session, so they should be active from the get-go. Megan Miller will represent the con side. Staff should ensure the client's ability to respond to treatment before transferring to parents. During this debate, we'll use the term parent to refer to parents, guardians, and caregivers. We also want to make two points that are givens for both sides. The first is that parents should have input during the Functional Behavior Assessment, or FBI, via indirect assessments prior to a behavior intervention plan being written. Parents should at a minimum be interviewed, even if briefly. Second, parents should give parental consent for implementation after the BCBA has reviewed the behavior intervention plan with them. Finally, since parents are often not present in the school settings, the majority of this discussion will revolve around home or clinic-based therapy. In both homes and clinics, parents would have the opportunity to participate in implementing the behavior plan with supervision by the behavior analyst. So let's start this party off right with a coin toss. Ashley, representing the pro side, will have heads. Megan, representing the con side, will have tails. And it's tails. Oh, sweet. All right. Um, I choose to go first, please. Awesome. Okay. Megan will speak first for the con side and give the opening remarks discussing that staff should ensure the client's ability to respond to treatment before transferring to parents. Again, the motion is, it is in the client's best interest for behavior analysts to include parents as active participants in implementing the behavior plan from the beginning. Thanks, Kara. I want to start off by saying that parents should absolutely have a role in implementing the behavior plan. In all of my trainings, I emphasize the fact that behavior plans to increase appropriate behavior and reduce challenging behavior are useless without family involvement. 
If our plans don't get implemented outside of session, they're basically pieces of scrap paper. However, I propose that staff should ensure the client's ability to respond to treatment before transferring to parents. Let's let's just take one step back. In this debate, we have established that parents should be active participants in giving input during the indirect assessment portion of the FBA and that they need to give consent prior to implementing a behavior plan. I'm going to even go one step further and say that parents should give the BCBA feedback regarding their thoughts on how the client will respond to the plan. For example, if a BCBA writes a plan that uses ice cream as a reinforcer, but the child has an aversion or reaction to dairy products, that that obviously needs to be changed prior to implementation. But implementation should rest initially with trained staff. Trained behavior therapists under the supervision of BCBAs should first implement any behavior plan and ensure that the client will respond to it prior to transferring the responsibility to the parent. And there's so many reasons for this. Primarily, professionals have the training and the ability to alter the behavior intervention plan, implement nuanced fading procedures, and work out any idiosyncrasies that may have been missed during the assessment. I can write a beautiful plan, but until I implement it, it's really just theoretical, right? I often have to make minor tweaks in order to ensure that the staff is able to maximize the time that they have to work with the client. Professionals give input in the moment and adapt to situations that may have been overlooked during the initial writing of the plan. Professional collaboration and brainstorming are often necessary for successful implementation. So let's look at my second reason, which would be maintaining treatment fidelity. Parenting is really hard, especially if you have multiple children, and even more so if more than one of those children have disabilities. You can't possibly expect parents to implement a behavior plan that they have not watched you successfully implement. They may also not have as much buy-in because you don't actually know if the nuances of the plan work for that specific child. Stocko and Thompson's 2015 article states that Quote, parental non-adherence remains a common barrier to achieving robust behavior change, and parent training does not always result in successful outcomes. End quote. This is really problematic, because if everyone is implementing a plan, but some of it is not being implemented with fidelity, the client will be receiving intermittent reinforcement or punishment, and that may alter the integrity of the entire plan across all settings. In her book, Autism and the Family, Dr. Kate Fisk states, Quote, small errors can become patterns and in no time treatment can begin to look vastly different from what was intended, end quote. This is a huge reason why it's best to troubleshoot problems prior to transferring the plan to parents. Fisk also states that, quote, from a scientific perspective, if a treatment is not implemented with high integrity, two possible outcomes may occur. First, if the symptoms of the individual with ASD do not improve, the family and professionals cannot be sure that the treatment was ineffective because it was not actually implemented as intended. Second, if the symptoms of the individual with ASD do improve, the family and professional cannot be sure that the improvement was due to treatment or components of the treatment because they were not implemented with high integrity, end quote. Correct implementation is imperative for accurate interpre interpretation of results of treatment and decisions about whether to continue or discontinue treatment. It is time-consuming to collect inter-observer agreement or IOA data and do fidelity checks on parents, something that should be done consistently but held off on until the plan has proven successful. Due to scheduling issues, this might even prove more difficult and lead to treatment drift early on in treatment. Fisk points out that in-depth training should occur with everyone implementing the plan. 
Sometimes, though, that time is not able to be initially spent, and if implemented haphazardly, this may affect treatment effectiveness. Trained family members who become confident in their own implementation may also incorrectly train or explain the plan to additional family members, and that's also going to affect effectiveness. Overall, let's look at this whole thing realistically. You write the plan, you get consent, and then you're ready to implement. Day one of implementation. I just feel like spending your three-hour session teaching the parents how to implement a plan that you yourself have never implemented is unnecessarily cumbersome. I feel like it makes more sense to have staff implement, let parents observe, and then transfer with additional training for the parents. It will give you the flexibility to alter the plan and not confuse the caregivers anymore. Furthermore, in group home settings in which caregivers have multiple clients that may require multiple behavior plans, it allows for less complication and more consistency. Thank you, Megan. Now we'll move on to Ashley, who will give the opening remarks representing the pro side of the debate, stating that the behavior plan won't work outside of session without caregiver input and follow through, so they should be included from the initial implementation. Again, the motion is... It is in the client's best interest for behavior analysts to include parents as active participants in implementing the behavior plan from the beginning. Thanks, Kara. Without caregiver input and follow through, the behavior plan won't work outside of session, so they should be active from the get-go. So we want everyone who's involved with our clients to be on board so that our client can have success and great generalization, right? The best way to ensure this is to get everyone on board from the beginning. We sort of already do this when starting with the client, if you think about it. During intake of a new client, the BCBA sits with the parent, conducts some assessments, and most importantly, talks to the parent. Through talking, we can get some idiosyncratic input, right? Because who knows our client better than their parents? Probably no one. They talk about what behavior they've seen and what has worked or not worked in the past when treating it. They have pretty good knowledge of what makes their child angry or frustrated and what some good reinforcers for their kids are. So we really want them involved. We're constantly talking to parents about what works best for their child and their families. We also are following up with what is working and not working. How many times has a BCBA written the greatest behavior plan of all time and then find out it's not working? Regardless of the reason, they talk to the parents to figure this out. If a behavior plan only works during session, then it's not effective because we don't have generalization. That's the most important part here, right? Parents help with generalizing a treatment because they're the ones with the client in multiple locations and work with them for the other 22 hours of the day. In an article by Hailstone in 2014, he explains that, quote, since children spend the majority of their time with their parents, it is advantageous for parents to be trained in ABA techniques and involved in the process in order to maximize their child's learning rate and skill development, end quote. He continues to say, quote, parents are readily present to observe behavioral excesses and deficits in diverse environments. This becomes important in a program sense as the parent can provide the service provider with critical input about areas requiring additional attention, such as desensitization to sounds, visits to the supermarkets, or even hairdressers, end quote. I come to this constantly where I'm working on a case where, let's say we're working on decreasing aggression. We have a great behavior intervention plan in, and then after a while, mom takes the client to go get a haircut, and we see this huge increase in aggression. We desperately need parents' involvement so that A, they know what to do in certain situations, and B, so they can communicate with us that this is what happened, and this is what they did, and here's how that worked out. Also, the important part that I think gets forgotten about here is that parents can feel validated and empowered. 
I don't have any real data on this, but from discussions with clients and my subjective point of views, some parents feel like crappy moms and dads because they're in the supermarket and their kid is on the floor screaming and maybe bashing their heads. I'm sure any parent of a child knows that feeling. Everyone is staring at you and maybe you're trying to ignore it. Maybe you're even saying, take the iPad and be quiet and it's still not working. You're not a bad parent for doing any of those options, but I know that's a common feeling of failure and sadness and not being able to tend to your child's needs. By having parents involved, we can figure out the function of these behaviors and train them so they know what to do and can have that empowering feeling and not be in these situations. Thanks, Ashley. The next segment of our debate is the crossfire. Both sides will have the opportunity to ask and respond to each other's questions. We will begin with a question from Megan, representing the con side of the motion. Ashley, representing the pro side, will answer and then follow up with her own question. This alternating pattern will continue until the end of the segment. Again, the motion is, it is in the client's best interest for behavior analysts to include parents as active participants in implementing the behavior plan from the beginning. Debaters, please make sure you answer the question to the best of your ability and ask for clarification if necessary. And as always, keep it respectful. You bring up some really good points, Ashley. So my first question would be, if you're including parents in the initial implementation of the plan, would you train parents first and then staff or train them concurrently or how would that look? Great question, Megan. I think this is again family specific. You know the saying that you've met one child with autism and you've met one child with autism because of how different and delicate each situation here is. The same quotes generalize to the family as well. I've worked with clients where the families and caregivers have sat in on the sessions with me for my entire time working with them. Those situations were sort of forced parent training. I've had others where we trained staff first and had parents observe and ask what to do when a certain behavior happens and what to do from that point on. I don't think at the end of the day it matters, but I do think it's important when starting services to tell parents that their full involvement is critical to their child's success. Managing a behavior is a full-time job and all my behavior analyst friends listening know exactly what I mean. You need to constantly be analyzing and making modifications as time passes. And if a parent isn't even attending to any behavior changes or treatment implementation, we would never really know how effective our treatment is or if it needs any changes. Megan, have you considered that a treatment can be implemented accurately, but parents might engage in, let's say, some other respondent behaviors that they may not be aware of they're engaging in, such as prompting or eye rolling, and that could worsen or be better in behavior reduction, right? So that could cause inadvertent reinforcement to those behaviors. Without parental involvement, how do you account for those responses controlling a child's behavior? And how would you explain to a parent why something such as head hitting is still occurring? That's a great question, Ashley. If those behaviors are functioning as reinforcers and the staff aren't exhibiting those behaviors, then we're really not going to see that in session. So once we train the parents after the successful implementation of the plan during session, we can pinpoint those idiosyncratic behaviors for reduction. This allows the staff to serve as models in behavior skills training, or BST, for the parents. This is why it's important that we see success during session prior to transferring the plan over to the parents. So, Ashley, my next question would be that BST is the recommended approach to use when teaching parents how to implement a behavior plan, according to Fisk and other researchers. Do you recommend practitioners spend their time teaching parents using a BST model prior to implementing the behavior plan with the client in session, as opposed to actually implementing the plan and fine-tuning the specifics as they apply to the client? 
Excellent question, Megan. Both Fisk and Kazan actually mentioned this, and again, I think it's child-specific. I know for my training in school, I went through a model where my trainers would model everything for me. We'd run different programs together that mid collect procedural integrity and IOA as the week went on. Same for a behavior intervention plan. They'd coach me through it when the child was engaging in whatever behaviors, and we'd talk about it after the child had de-escalated. I think in that case, having a staff model, parents asking questions, and then we have them come in. I've also worked before where parents have filmed themselves while they were running different behavior plans alone, and we'd watch it together and talk about what they did and how they think they did and modify the treatment for future occurrences based on that. So Megan, if you're not training your parents on what to do constantly, how do we expect any decrease or elimination of problem behaviors? What if this is a life-threatening behavior? Isn't it unethical to not train parents? It's a fair question, Ashley, but I would postulate that if a child is engaging in severe dangerous behavior, it actually may be unethical to include parents. In the initial stages of the behavior plan implementation, there are frequently injuries even among professionals. Putting parents into volatile and erratic situations may be opening them up to unnecessary risk. In regards to safety of the client and family, I would suggest that therapy hours are significantly increased, and once the client begins responding to treatment, transfer of the plan to the parent occurs. During the interim, parents should be trained on safety procedures that have minimal effect on the behavior, taught to implement any relevant and straightforward antecedent strategies, and they need to observe staff during sessions. Once the plan has been transferred, training should, of course, occur frequently and consistently to allow the client to begin generalizing the skill across settings. Fisk mentions that, quote, challenging behavior can be limiting for parents and for siblings, as well as for the child with ASD. In some cases, it can lead to physical harm for the child or family and can reduce the family's ability to integrate themselves into the community, end quote. I understand the desire for expediting treatment, but let's make sure that the treatment is effective prior to transferring it to the family. That was fantastic, ladies. Really thoughtful questions and responses. Our next segment will be the rebuttal. Megan, representing the con side, will speak first. Megan, you have the floor. Thanks, Kara. It is very typical that parents and family members may not have the instructional control exhibited during a more structured setting. In addition, parents have a varied amount of understanding of basic principles of ABA. Some parents are professionals in the field. Some parents receive parent coaching from their behavior analysts. However, many parents may not have that basic understanding of how their behavior influences their child's behavior. Many parents just want to be able to enjoy being with their children and not have to worry about implementing a plan with professional precision. In their article on parent training, HowToABA.com poignantly shares a quote from a parent. I'm a mom, not a therapist. So I'm paraphrasing here, but Bennett's 2012 research states that some parents may work long hours, come home exhausted, and not have the time or energy to spend working with their children. If parents are not running the plan correctly because they do not have enough experience in ABA to make in-the-moment judgment calls, they could be accidentally reinforcing the behaviors the plan is attempting to decrease. So what do we do if parents refuse involvement? Because we know that they should be involved later, but let's say they refuse. So Benson, Karloff, and Cyperstein in 2008 state, quote, in addition to difficulties linked to their child's disorder, like all parents, the parents of children with ASD must also contend with a variety of other demands on their time and energy, including those associated with employment and care of other children. 
Research indicates that working mothers in particular face major challenges in balancing family and work commitments, and that these difficulties are substantially heightened in the case of mothers caring for, end quote, uh, children with disabilities. The authors go on to state that, quote, a number of the mothers in our study with more severely impaired children noted that they simply did not have the time or energy to devote to assisting their child educationally. As one parent put it, and this is an internal quote, once he's home, I have to watch him continually just to keep him and his younger sister safe. It's exhausting. I can't deal with anything else. End quote. Parents are dealing with their own stress and also everything associated with a child that has challenging behavior. This creates a huge strain on the family. Benson 2008 points out that, quote, clearly one factor potentially affecting parent involvement is the severity of problem behaviors exhibited by the child with ASD. Numerous studies have documented the high level of stress often experienced by parents raising children with ASD. Particularly, in families where the child exhibits severe behavioral difficulties, contending with these challenges may come to constitute an unrelenting and pervasive set of demands, essentially crowding out parent efforts to actively participate in their child's educational program. End quote. And on top of all that stress, parents may still be dealing with the stress associated with an initial ASD diagnosis, in which the symptoms, as Dr. Fisk points out, sometimes mirror PTSD. All of this stress prevents correct implementation, and it needs to be overcome to transfer the plan. But the plan should really be solid before transferring. Bennett 2012 states that, quote, parental involvement is the one invariable factor and an integral part of the success of early intervention programs for children with autism. The collaboration between the parent and the professional working with the child in the program is critical to the effectiveness of the programs, end quote. In order to make this transfer easier, we as professionals need to ensure that the behavior plan is easy to implement for all stakeholders, parents, grandparents, siblings, etc., so that behavior remains at low levels. Ben in 2012 goes on to state, quote, generalizing skills is important to the child's success developmentally, and without parental involvement, the ability to generalize skills can be difficult, end quote. We need to ensure that parents can implement effectively to ensure for generalization. We can't expect parents to have the objective professional knowledge and skills that we bring to the table. We need to make sure that the plan is consistently implemented and successful before chancing transferring the skills to anyone who may not implement with fidelity. That goes for anyone working with the client, from new therapists to other professionals to family members. Thank you, Megan. That was truly enlightening. Now, Ashley, representing the pro side, will give her rebuttal. Ashley, you have the floor. I see what you're saying, Megan. Those data from the Bennett study, of course, make sense when a parent is working and taking care of a child with autism and maybe some other siblings and also dealing with whatever stress life is bringing them at that point. To answer your question, parental involvement from the beginning, I think will bring that stress down. It's similar to people who work out, right? You don't get immediate results overnight. You have to meal prep, what you're doing, when you're working out, what to do when you're in the office and there's a cookie sitting there and discuss different strategies to help overcome those. It takes a lot of time to be healthy and the investment is worth the outcome. It's the same logic with parent training. It's very hard at first and of course adds to the stress because it's a new skill. However, there's tons of data to support the procedures that we as behavior analysts are implementing and we're all working constantly as a team together. It will get easier. 
Katie Fisk has that book, The Autism and Family, and in a chapter, it specifically discusses parents and treatment implementation. She explains that, quote, parents have the ability to implement an intervention that has a meaningful impact on an adaptive behavior of their child, improves their own feelings of self-efficacy. That confidence leads to better management of child problem behavior that is associated with lower levels of anxiety and depression, end quote. That quote helps me segue into your second point in regards to the overworked parents. I think there's an individualized way to approach each client depending on their work situation. From the Bennett quote you cited in your argument, I think parental involvement should still be used from the beginning. Parental involvement is also something defined differently for each client. And it doesn't necessarily mean that 24-7 during session they're running the behavior intervention plan, especially the first few months, right, when it's implemented. Your child's BCBA and therapists, they should all be serving as models. And then when having the parent run, they use some sort of behavior skills training to give the parent constant feedback. There's a study by Kazin and it evaluated parents that were involved in parent training versus those that chose not to. And in that study specifically, the actively involved parents were brought into session to observe, they assisted the therapist, and they fostered the use of the behavior intervention plan at home. The parents originally received written guidelines um, and those regarded how to prompt and assist the child. They observed the therapist and child, and then they role-played the procedure with the therapist and then with the child. The parents received feedback and social reinforcement from the therapist and as needed to assist the child. The sessions were also faded in the study to give independence to the parents systematically so they never had that overwhelmed feeling. The parents in this study were seen for 16 treatment sessions spread over six to eight months for about an hour and a half to two hours. They were initially weekly and then they faded it to every other week. But that's not a set number, right? Like every family is unique and they need customization. It's similar to a special education teacher where your teachers are making modifications that are student specific, not just a general model. They might use something similar to what they've done with another child in the past, but every kid learns differently, right? And we're consistently customizing how we're teaching to the child. And it's the same with parent training. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. You make some really good points. The next segment of our debate is the second crossfire. I, as the moderator, will ask questions of both sides. We will attempt to keep an alternating pattern of responding. Debaters, please make sure you answer the questions to the best of your ability and ask for clarification if necessary. As always, keep it respectful. Let's start with the con side. Megan, if a parent asks to actively participate in the behavior plan from the beginning, what would your response be? So that's a really good question. Every situation is, is family dependent. Like I mentioned earlier, the skill level of parents span a huge range. Some parents are professionals in the field. My answer, even to those parents, is that we should try to show instructional control within session so that we can ensure the plan works before we transfer it to the parents. We may need to make minor modifications in order to ensure successful implementation. It's easier for us to hash this out among our staff instead of providing families with mixed messages. If I have to reteach my team, that's one thing. But then if I have to reteach the families, it's going to get really confusing for them. And I risk the chance of losing buy-in, which I really can't. I can't lose that. Valid points, Megan. Ashley, when training families from the onset, how do you evaluate if your plan is effective if you have parents who are implementing the plan incorrectly? 
In some ways, wouldn't your data be invalid, particularly if collected by a parent who is doing it incorrectly? When you say that, do you mean in regards to data collection or treatment implementation? Really both, because ideally you'd have parents collecting data as well as implementing the plan. Okay, I see. I think when training, you follow some sort of model like I discussed at first. So you model what the plan would look like and then collect procedural integrity data as they're running. Similar to how we train our therapists, we have them meet at a certain criteria. It's not always perfect at first, but that's why we're constantly training and retraining parents and staff. Thanks for clarifying, Ashley. Megan, how do you ensure that the function maintaining problem behavior with therapists is the same function maintaining that behavior with caregivers? If you hold off on implementing the plan with parents until you have consistent success during session and then find that the problem behavior serves a different function with the parents and then you have to rewrite the plan, that is a significant amount of wasted time. Assessment should catch this problem from the beginning. However, let's say that, um, let's say something changed after we did the initial assessment, or maybe we missed some of the parents' idiosyncratic behaviors. So basically, we would need two different plans. And you're right, that would be a lot of wasted time if we waited until after successful implementation during treatment to assess and write a whole new plan for the parents. I think best practice here would be for the behavior analyst to continually monitor the client in an unstructured, out-of-session environment while implementing the behavior plan during session. In addition, the BCBA should have frequent conversations with the parents regarding the behavior and ideally be able to pick up that the antecedents and consequences of the behavior vary from the session. The BCBA can write the home plan concurrently with implementing the plan for session and then implement using contrived BST since observing the staff may not be beneficial as it would be a different plan. Thanks, Megan. Ashley, how do you handle parents who refuse to follow procedures or are not interested in following the plans you have written? Would you suggest not providing services or only providing services with therapists? I don't think that's an ethical excuse to not provide services. However, we should continue to encourage parental involvement. We can also show the parents data on the occurrence of a specific behavior during session and then compare it to what they're seeing when we are not there. Showing them that are following our treatment plan and even modifying it to something that's not only realistic but functional for a parent to implement when a therapist is not around might be something that will get them more on board. Our next segments will be the summary and final focus. Megan, representing the con side, will speak first. Megan, it's your turn to begin. I've been an emergency medical technician or EMT since 2003. We have a practice in the emergency medical field called transfer of care. Basically, when we take patients to the hospital via an ambulance, we have to transfer information, professional responsibility, and accountability to hospital providers. Transfer of care is, quote, a critical component of quality patient care and has an enormous influence on patient trajectory within the clinical environment. Failures of communication during transfer of patient care are major drivers of error and patient harm, end quote. Transferring a patient from the pre-hospital setting to a hospital environment is a delicate situation to navigate. However, once we start medical care, we only transfer care to a professional of equal or higher certification level until that patient is stable. If this transfer is not successfully executed, or if we transfer care to someone whose certification level is not equal or greater than ours, we actually can be accused of patient abandonment. I share this to draw an analogy between a medical transfer and the transfer of care that occurs when a parent takes over a behavior plan. 
No medical professional would transfer care of a critically ill patient to a family before that patient is stable, right? Similarly, behavior analysts should avoid transferring the responsibility of implementing the behavior plan until they have worked out the individualized nuances of the plan. Elicit family's feedback prior to implementation? Yes. Keep the family abreast of progress? Absolutely. But families do not need the additional strain of worrying about whether or not they are implementing the plan correctly, or if they're reinforcing the wrong behavior, or if there's consistency between what they're doing and what is happening during session. Being a parent or caregiver is such a difficult job. You have to worry about your child's health, their nutrition, that their shoes are tied, that they're going to the bathroom at the appropriate time, that they practice good hygiene skills, that they're sleeping during the night, that they're making friends, that they're having fun, and also learning how to be a human. The list of things is endless. Let's take the worry and guesswork out of implementing a behavior plan. Let's hand them a plan that we have proven works. It will give parents peace of mind and allow for the continued, consistent success of the client. At the end of the day, that's really what behavior analysis is all about, creating socially significant behavior change. And in order to do that, we need the parents. Let's just make sure we know what we're doing before we ask the parents to implement the plan. Thanks, Megan. Now giving her summary and final focus, Ashley, representing the pro side, will make her closing statements. Ashley, it's your turn. Thanks, Kara. There's no point in creating a behavior plan without parental involvement. I know it's a bold statement, but hear me out. If therapists are at the house, let's say a maximum of 40 hours a week, that makes up 23.8% of that client's week. And that's at 40 hours, which so many clients receive so much less. For the remaining 76.2% of the week, the clients are with their parents. Parents are on the front lines and they really need the tools to work with their children for those 76 hours a week. Also, I, I can't help but continue to stress that parents are fundamental with generalizing a treatment. One of our dimensions of applied behavior analysis emphasizes the importance of generalization. A behavior change may be said to have generality if it proves durable over time, if it appears in a variety of environments, or if it spreads to a variety of related behaviors. Therefore, the improvement of articulation in a clinic setting will prove to have generalized if it endures into the future after the clinic visit stops. The research shows lack of parental involvement is detrimental to the child's development and progress within an early intervention program. There's ample research on the positive effects of children with autism who have parental involvement. This includes increased developmental skills and progress in early intervention programs. That research also shows the effects of lack of parental involvement. That includes the inability to support the child's needs, the child's ability to generalize skills across environments, and lacking developmental progress. If we don't have generality, then we don't have effective behavior change. And I wanna make a point here to say that parental involvement does not mean for those 40 hours a week that parents are always in session creating, running, applying modifications to behavior intervention programs, because if that's the case, we'd all be out of jobs. The point is exactly in the name of parent training. It is giving our clients' families the tools and the procedures to apply this effective behavior change. We're giving them the ability to decrease stress, to increase family time, and give their children socially significant behavior treatment. And I think that's the terminal goal here. 
Thank you, ladies, for your thoughtful and thorough defense of your sides. So many important points were made today. Including parents from the onset has the potential to expedite behavior change in our clients when done thoroughly and systematically. However, it is also possible that training parents before they are ready can lead to treatment drift, which will have detrimental effects on client responding. I think Bennett, 2012, summarizes this debate well when she said, quote, there is no right amount of parental involvement because every family has different needs, end quote. Stay tuned at the beginning of every month for a new ABA Ultimate Showdown episode. Our August topic will be ethics related. Consider it our gift to you. If you have ideas or topics for future debate, have respectful suggestions on ways we can improve this podcast, or if you're interested in becoming a guest debater, please email showdown at grandbehavior.com. If you've enjoyed what you've heard and found your aha moment, please subscribe to our podcast. Visit our website at grandbehaviorservices.com slash showdown. Like or follow Grand Behavior Services on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram. And visit our YouTube channel to be alerted when new episodes are out. We also appreciate your thoughtful review on the platform you listen to us on. Finally, we ask our audience two things. One, be respectful and thoughtful when you respond to other people and their ideas. Remember that everyone has a unique learning history that brought them to this moment. It will make you a better person and further promote behavior analysis. Two, go forth and deliver good ABI. This podcast has been brought to you by Grand Behavior Services. Grand Behavior Services provides quality, comprehensive, evidence-based therapy to individuals with any behavior challenges or an autism spectrum disorder to create effective behavior change in themselves while empowering their families to help them pursue productive, purposeful, and fulfilling lives. Grand Behavior Services, professional, supportive, optimistic, proactive, compassionate, scientific, trustworthy.